0: We're going through John, and uh, the scripture today is John chapter two, 13 to 25, but of course, we're not going anywhere near there first. First, we are going to 1 Corinthians, chapter six, verses 19 to 20. Now, I put that in the Facebook group. I was hopeful that you would read, now comes that painful moment, how many of you actually read that scripture? You forgot. <laughs> okay, well, I appreciate your confession. Uh, I can't do much about it, but there we go. Yeah, that's uh, not my department. I'm in sales. So 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. Let me ask you a quick question. What does it mean to glorify God in your body. Does that mean we should all become weightlifters? I think it just hurt my arm doing that. That did not work. What does it mean to glorify God in your bodies? Okay, yes, but that doesn't really tell us how. How would you bring glory to God using your body? again? Some people, and I'm, I'm actually only being a little bit joking when I say this, some people would say, oh well okay, I have to look my best. I have to do weightlifting, and I gotta get my, my teeth laser treated and, and have my hair, well, my hair done. But that isn't what scripture shows us is the idea there. The thing that I want you to cling on to right now is it's not your body. Who bought it? Who bought it? How did he buy it? By dying on the cross. He paid for it with his blood. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not? Your own. For you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. Now, let's turn to Romans chapter 5. Romans is the why book, Acts is the what book. It gives us the set history. The book of Acts gives us the set history of the beginning of the church of Jesus Christ on earth. The book of Romans explains the whys of it. Why did this happen? Why do we do this? Why do we do that? What is it that makes us to be in this place? Romans is a wonderful book. In chapter 5, verses 6 and 8, say this. For while we were still helpless... At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man, someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrated his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now I want you to think about that just for a second. While we were yet sinners, what is a sinner? Someone who rejects God. Someone who who does things contrary to what God says, teaches, commands. Someone who is in open opposition to God. A rebel. A criminal. That's what we were to God when Jesus said, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. We were the terrorists, we were the invading army, we were the bad people. And that is when God saved us. Not when we were sweet and kind and wonderful. Not when we had just finished brushing our teeth, combing our hair, putting a little bit of pleasant scent here. Not when we had gone out and fed the hungry and clothed the poor and warmed the cold but while we were still shaking our fists at God and telling him to stay out of our lives. That's when. So now we come to John chapter two. What did, not to put you on the spot, but of course I am, What did Brayton preach about last week? (laughs) The wedding at Cana. Jesus goes to a party. Everybody has drunk all the wine. And Jesus makes more. Because his mother tells him to. He was a good boy. This is coming up to a big event. In chapter two, well, uh, let me tell you something first. Let me give you a little background about chapter two. Chapter two is one of the uh, rare events that is covered in all four of the gospels. Now normally, three of the Gospels tend to call fairly closely together when they cover things. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. These are the synoptic Gospels. They cover the same themes mostly. They will have some some differences, but John isn't like that. John's doing his own thing because the three of the synoptic gospels so Matthew is written with a very Jewish perspective he starts off with a genealogy that the Greeks and the Romans could not care less about it's a bunch of Jewish people Matthew is very Jewish Mark is fairly well assumed to be the teachings of Peter as recorded by Mark. And Luke is an investigative journalist. He was a doctor who traveled all over, speaking to everybody that he could get his hands on to find out what happened. And those three, they all stick together fairly closely because what they're doing is they're giving facts John is about relationship. Because who is John? Okay, you guys need to be louder because like me, you're muzzled. So a little bit louder. Who is John? John? He was a disciple who was close to Jesus. He was a disciple that Jesus loved. He was possibly Jesus' best friend. And he was aware of that. Not in a bragging way, but in a way that let him understand that this was not a cold, hard, unfeeling savior. This was his friend. And so when we look through John, we see accounts that are given from a slightly different perspective. So how does this account, which is covered in all four of the Gospels, look like relationship? Well, let's see. John chapter two, 13 to 15, now, Just before this happened, we have the triumphal entry. Jesus comes into Jerusalem. He's riding on a donkey. The people are yelling out, Hosanna, Hosanna to the king. And they're laying palm branches in front of the donkey. And this is a traditional method that they would greet the new king as he entered into Jerusalem, which is the capital. This is what has just happened. And now Jesus comes to the temple. And the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem, and he found in the temple those who were selling oxen and sheep and doves, and the money changers seated. And he made a scourge. Who knows what a scourge is? It's a whip. Jesus made a whip. He made a scourge of cords and drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And to those who were selling the doves, he said, take these things away. Stop making my father's house a house of merchandise. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for thy house will consume me. The Jews therefore answered and said to him, what sign do you show us seeing that you do these things? Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews, therefore, said, it took 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. When, therefore, he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he said this, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had spoken Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name, beholding his signs, which he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, was not entrusting himself to them, for he knew all men. And because he did not need anyone to bear witness concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. So... What were the people doing in the temple when Jesus came in? They were selling. Now, do you suppose that when this practice started, people would just rush in, throw down some tables, throw some stuff on the tables, maybe cages of birds, or they'd throw up a quick pen over here and throw a bunch of sheep in them, or they'd put their piles of money so that they could change money coming from other people who wanted to worship in the temple. Do you suppose they just threw that all up at once uh, and the priests were like, hey, high five! We get a percentage. Commission. Do you suppose that's what happened? Probably not. In fact, it's very unlikely that it didn't. This was something that would have come on gradually a bit at a time here's what was actually happening and when you, when you find out what's actually happening it can actually I'm saying actually a lot and I'll stop it can be more upsetting to come and make an offering at the temple certain things had to happen Every week you had to come and make, as a, as a Jewish person, the head of the household would come to the temple to make an offering for his family to push away the sins that they had committed that week. Now, if you knew specifically what the sins were that you had done, you would bring an offering specifically for that. If it was a relatively minor sin, you might bring an offering of flour. If it was a little bit more, of a sin, then you might bring some oil, some fragrant oil or some olive oil to offer. And of course, once you start getting into your serious sins, then you've got a dove that's gonna be killed and consumed in the fire, or you bring in for the big ones a lamb. But if you look in the Old Testament, where the guidelines are being set down for the offering, there's a phrase that is used, and that phrase is Without blemish. What's a blemish? A defect. Today, the most common place you will see the term blemish is in acne medicine. But what they were bringing was supposed to be the best of what they had. The first fruits of the flock or of the harvest And what had started happening was this. Jeff says, oh, it was a bad week. We uh, didn't do well this week. I'm going to take this lamb. So I go through all of my sheep. This one, this is the best lamb I've got. Dust them off a little bit, and then we go. And I met as I come in, and one of the priests examines the sheep. And the priest says, that's not suitable for an offering. Tell you what we're gonna do though, we've got some here that are. We'll take that sheep from you, we'll sell you this sheep, then you're good, you can make the offering. That doesn't sound unreasonable on the face of it, except for this. That sheep then went into the back of the pile And eventually someone would come in with a sheep and the priest would say, nope, nope, that one isn't suitable here. And the sheep that he picks up and says is suitable is the very one that you brought in and he said wasn't suitable. Because the mindset had changed from we're going to help people to bring glory to God, to obey the commandment of God. It had gone from that to we're going to show a profit. We're going to make some money. Now we have money changers. And here's how that worked. You put your offering in, the only money that they would accept was the temple coin. all of the people who lived all over the place did business in everything else. They'd have Roman coins and they would have Greek coins and they would have Jewish coins and it all got used. But when you had to come and make your offering at the temple, you would bring in, let's say you had a bunch of denarii and you would set that down on the table. And let's say the normal exchange rate for one denarii Or maybe it was two denarii for one temple coin. And the guy at the money changer table says that'll be eight. And they were ripping off the people. Now there's a technical term for this. And I'm sure this is a term none of you have ever heard before so I'm going to say it slowly. And the term is sin. They were sinning in the temple of God. And Jesus came into his Father's house, the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit, the Holy of Holies, the place where once a year The high priest would go in and make an offering for the propitiation of the sins of the entire nation and himself that they were so serious about that they had a rope attached to his foot because if he was struck dead in there, they couldn't go in to pull his body out, so they'd have to pull him out with a rope. And that had been turned into Walmart. And so Jesus took some cords and he made a whip and he drove them out and he knocked over the tables and he dumped the money on the ground. Which book is this? And what is John's take on things? What is it? Relationship, relational. So, how do we look at this with relationship in mind? Understanding where he's coming from. I mean, he is giving us a factual account, but he's looking at it a little bit differently, which is why we go to 1 Corinthians and which is why we go to Romans, where we are reminded that what is the temple now? We are. You are. If you have accepted Jesus Christ, been baptized into his death, raised into his life, and received the gift of the Holy Spirit, you are the dwelling place of God. Let's talk about this temple for a second. Was this the original temple No, it wasn't. That had been torn down. This wasn't even the one that God had told them to build in the first place. It had been destroyed. This is 2.0. This is the next one. But it must have been really new, right, for Jesus to get really worked up about this. Even though it wasn't the original temple, it must have been a really new temple, right? it was it was 46 years old how old is this building yeah 59 so it's it's a little bit older than that temple was but it wasn't a new building and it was used daily it was used every single day There were always people in the temple. Jesus didn't get upset because it was the original temple that had been made at the specific directions and plans from his father. He didn't get upset because well okay it's the second temple but it's in really good shape and we wanna keep it that way, get all those animals out of there. That's not why. Why did he get upset? It was his father's home. It was his father's house. It was something that stood to the glory of God. It was not something that should be standing to display sin. Sometimes, when we talk about becoming a Christian, one of the concerns that people have is that they have this lifetime of experience. And and the older somebody is, the greater that lifetime of experience is with all the things that we have done that God is standing there saying, I really wish, and you're really gonna wish, that you weren't doing this right now. Stop sinning. And we go, no, no, I enjoy this. Da-da-da, I'm quite happy. Until we're not. Until we realize what sin does to us and what God offers us. And so, we accept God's salvation. We acknowledge that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. We repent of our sins. We turn away from them. We walk away from them. We are immersed into Jesus' death. We rise in his life and we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and we are forgiven. And now, we are the temple. We are the dwelling place of the Most High. So this goes back Now, to showing the glory of God with our bodies. Jesus wanted to show the glory of the temple by driving out the sin, by removing the sin, by the place being used for its proper design by God, which was to be a place where people could come, to be in the presence of God, and... That they could be forgiven. There was so much sin that the statement was that the blood flowed from the temple day and night because of all the blood offerings that were made to push away the sin. So now we live in a state where our sin has been eliminated by one death, that happened once. So relationally, we're this temple. And when we have sin in our life, and we are the temple, I know we have this image, I know we have this image, because I have this image, that Jesus is always smiling. You know, we have, we have all of these pictures of Jesus looking gentle and Jesus Jesus loving people and holding a lamb and do and you ever notice in the, in the pictures where he's holding the lamb, the lamb looks all white and soft and cuddly and Jesus is usually wearing this really comfy looking outfit, right, and his hair is clean. Have you ever had to chase a lamb? If you've ever chased a lamb, you know you're not clean You're sweaty because those things move. (laughs) They kick just like we do. There's a lot of time in my life when Jesus has not looked happy. He has not been smiling lovingly at me. He's been pretty ticked because I have chosen in my life to sin. You have chosen in your life to sin. And Jesus will make a whip, and he will drive that sin out. Now, this is a question that's a what-if, okay? And we always have to be really careful with what-ifs because we're not dealing with God's word. What we're doing is imagining something that might have happened. But we do this because God made us intelligent. And he gives us all the information, and we're supposed to look and say, well, what if this, and what if this, and what should we do in this situation? What should we have done in this situation? So let me ask you a what if. Two weeks before Jesus makes the trip to Jerusalem, the chief priest comes in one day, and he looks around, and he goes, this place is a mess. Look at this. This is terrible. This isn't supposed to be happening. And he gathers up a team of the priests, and he says, let's clean this place out. Those guys shouldn't be doing, look, if they want to do money trading, let them do that out in the street, but they're not doing it in here. Let's get those animals out. Do we have a proper place for animals? This isn't it. Let's get them all out. And so they make a coordinated effort. They get rid of the sin. Two weeks later, Jesus comes into his father's house. It's clean. It's been swept The floors have been scrubbed. The people are lining up because they're coming to offer praise and thanksgiving to God to bring their offering, to move away their sins. Do you think at that moment when Jesus looks around and he sees all that stuff has been cleared out and all these people are doing what they're supposed to be doing that he would have made a whip? I don't think he would have. I think you would have been (laughs) high fiving people. You did it. And so, this is where we come to this part. How could Jesus forgive us? What does the last part of that say? Uh, Sorry, wrong page. I'm lost. Okay, thirteen, twenty-five. yes. Okay, so, but Jesus on his part was not entrusting himself to them for he knew all men. And because he did not need anyone to bear witness concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. God knows my heart. He knows my thoughts. Does he know yours? Okay, just for a second, I want to give you a really horrifying moment. I want to think, I want you to think like over the last week. I want you to think of some times when you really, really wish God didn't know what you were thinking or doing. Okay, because we all have those. But he did. And he knew what they were thinking. He knew what they were thinking when he was teaching. He knew what they were thinking when he was staying in people's homes. He knew what they were thinking when he was healing people, when he was bringing people back from the dead, when he healed the leper. He knew what the people were thinking when he went to the trial, when they accused him, when they falsely accused him. He knew what they were thinking when they were beating him, when they pressed the thorns into his brow when they whipped him almost to death, when they made him carry through the crowds the cross until he collapsed and couldn't carry it any farther. He knew what they were thinking when they pounded in the spikes. And yet, what did he say? Father, forgive them. When we have sin in our lives, it's really hard. One, because sin is usually pretty fun. Or at least we tell ourselves it is, right? It's addictive. We want it. We're pulling ourselves towards it. And then to get it out of our lives, there's all these lies that Satan tells us. Well, you're mine now. You're here. You're doing this. You'll never be forgiven. Look at you. You're a piece of garbage. God wouldn't possibly want you. You can't even talk to him. These are all the things that we deal with. And in that moment, I want you to remember this moment, that Jesus didn't tear down the temple. He cleaned it. He drove out sin. But how much happier would he have been if they had stopped the sin first. I want you to take a second and think. I want you to close your eyes. Seriously, don't be looking at me. It's not worth it. I want you to close your eyes, and I want you to think about your sin. Not the sin that you did years and years ago, the sin you've been doing recently. And you know what it is. I want you to think about that sin. And I want you to ask God right now, Help me get rid of this. I'll do what makes me uncomfortable. But I want to give you glory. Father God, we have sin in our lives and we want it out. We want to give glory to you. We want when people meet us for people to say, wow, that person is different. That person is in Jesus Christ. So we ask through your spirit, through your word, and through the strength that you've given us, that you would help us to walk away from that sin. And we know that sometimes there's worldly consequences from that. We know that sometimes there's trouble from that, Father. But you are worth it. please help us and forgive us it's in Jesus name we pray Amen every one of you is a temple every one of you is worth it Jesus knew what you were like before your great grandparents were born and he still died on the cross for you because you are worth it God loves you now I want you to say this aloud so that I can hear it clearly. What you're going to say is, God loves me. Are we all clear on that? No confusion? Okay, good. Let's say it together. God loves me. Jesus knew the hearts. He knew the minds. God loves me. Say it again. God loves me. Me. I can hardly feel that. God loves me. We have to hang on to that. We have to remember that because there's so much going on in our lives. There's so much going on in our world. You can be clean. You follow Jesus. You listen to him.